Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, you're on Big Little Small Talk with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan. Today I've got a lovely young lady with me, her name's Heidi Iser, and I met Heidi one day when we were at a International Women's Day breakfast, I think at St Saviour's, and I was taken by lots of things that she told me, and she's going to tell you about it today. So welcome Heidi to Big Little Small Talk. Thanks so much for having me, it's exciting. Heidi, let's talk about being at St Saviour's. You went mm. to school there. Did you grow up in Toowoomba? I did, yeah. Uh, born and bred Toowoomba girl. Um, so Highfield State School and then St Saviour's and moved away after that. Did you, have I got this right, were you school captain at St Saviour's? I was the dance captain at St Saviour's. <laughs> <laughs> dancing. So dancing was a big part of your childhood? Yeah, definitely. My parents um, were probably a bit surprised. They were both very sporty. And I came out not that way. And um, they put me into dance classes when I was three years old. Um, so I danced right through my schooling years. And yeah, I loved it. What type of dance were you doing? Everything from ballet to jazz to hip hop, but mostly the ballet. Mm-hmm. And what other family siblings did you have? I'm an only child. Yeah. Okay. So my mum's side of the family all came from out west from a cattle property. Um, but yeah, it was just me, mum and dad. Mm-hmm. And dancing, um, what was that like? Did you, you, you loved it? Did you love the outfits that came along with dancing? Yeah, I'm probably quite um, what's it, like a feminine kind of girl and grew up loving that side of things and learning how to do my makeup and dressing up and just expressing myself in a creative way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, how did you feel about sort of the the imagery or the the way that you had to look as a dancer when you were younger yeah it was it was hard and um not built to be a ballerina and i loved it so much but i struggled with um the body image issues that came with it i wasn't <laughs> like a stick thin ballerina my hips came in when i was you know 12 13 years old and my boobs and my bum um, so I was never going to be a prima ballerina and it, yeah, it was difficult for me being surrounded by girls who were so much thinner and I didn't really understand that. So that's probably shaped a lot of my, um, my work that I do now. Okay. Well, I want to talk about that in a minute and I think that's probably what drew me to you when I first met you, the things that you're doing in your work and, and your art. But um, let's stay on your childhood for a little bit longer. You said that you moved away after you finished school. What did you go and do then? Um, so I went and studied journalism. So I think through school I was, I was very creative, um, but it was always kind of drilled in that I needed a serious job. Um, so I went away to uh, Brisbane, to the University of Queensland. And um, yeah, I studied journalism while I was there. I did a couple of internships um, at different papers, um, different news organisations. Um, and then once I graduated from uni, I landed a job with the Queensland Police Service as a media advisor. 
Okay, and did you come up back up to Toowoomba at that stage? No, travel so around? Um, yeah, I was living in Brisbane um, through my studies and then worked at police headquarters in Brisbane when I graduated. Okay, and what was that like as in a working environment? Was it um, something you found as a woman easy or no real problems? Um, um, I, I was so young when I started. I think it was all really shiny and um, exciting and... Um, I was a massive fan of Criminal Minds and JJ, who was their media advisor. Um, so it was, it was... Just correct me, and I'm sure there's a few <laughs> other people who are as ignorant as I am. What's Criminal Minds? A it's a TV, TV show? show yeah. Right. Yeah, based around the FBI. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really exciting for me, and Queensland Police Service were doing amazing things at the time. They were so well-renowned re- for their social media. Um, so it was definitely an experience. There were hard times, um, but yeah, I enjoyed the majority of it and had some incredible opportunities there. Yeah. And did you, uh, um, when you were going to do journalism, because you're only 30 this year, yeah. is that correct? When you were going to do journalism, did you get a lot of sort of negative feedback about, no, you'll never get a job, journalists don't get jobs these days? Tell me Absolutely. about that. Um, so I went to University of Queensland, which is traditionally... Um, quite a broadsheet journalism um, journalism school. Um, so my, I remember my first day in the lecture theatre with about 400 other journalism students and our lecturer said, none of you will get jobs at the end of your degree. Regardless, let's begin. That's a nice positive way to start a class. <laughs> yeah, they, they were a great university to, um, to attend and I, I learnt so much there, but I probably knew that I needed to shape my career to not be a traditional journalist and to learn other avenues as well. Mm. And this would have been right at the beginning of Facebook and social media, I would imagine? Yeah, around the start, yeah. yeah. Right, and how much of that did you get taught? And did you know at that stage kind of marketing was something that you really loved? Yeah, we didn't get taught a lot of social media. I guess it was still very wary at the time and... Um, you know, like civilian reporters were kind of what are talked about a lot in terms of people just posting on social media themselves and um, the wariness that they had around that with incorrect um, reporting. Um, so, yeah, it was probably... It was still quite new, but it was something that I really loved and saw a lot of potential in, and that's why I was excited to work for the police service because they were so... Um, like forward thinking when it came to that. Right. Why do you think that would have been so? Why the police necessarily? Um, it was quite a, a mix of things. I think the people, the culture, um, like for a top-down leadership, but also the circumstances at the time around the Queensland floods and the immediacy that they needed to respond to people. Mm. So how long did you work there for? Four years. Okay. And what happened after that? Um, so I actually have an autoimmune disease and I became quite ill. So um, in the lead up to that, I decided to study graphic design and thought that it would help me in my career if I wanted to move into a creative director kind of role. Um, and I just really fell in love with it. I thought, actually, I think I want to make a career from this. Um, but then I fell really um, ill and ended up in hospital and had to leave the police service and I just wanted to come home and be with my mum and dad and come back to my roots and be in Toowoomba. So I left Brisbane and resigned and 
came home and decided to start my own business. Okay. Can we just talk for just a minute about it's Crohn's disease? Yeah. yeah. And what, what does that involve for a young person? Um, so its traditional name is inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so basically it's inflammation throughout the bowel. Um, it's an autoimmune disease, so your body attacks itself and in that area particularly. Well, it can be anywhere from the mouth to the anus. It's the whole tract. Um, yeah, so it, it's quite painful and it means going to the bathroom a lot, um, a lot of fatigue, joint pain, all the things that come with that. Lots of medication? Yeah, so I've, I um, trialled quite a few different things and steroids, but I ended up getting approved for a new drug that was on the PBS, um, which was a low-grade chemotherapy. So I'd go to the hospital and receive my infusions for that. How often would you have to do that? And did you do that in Toowoomba? Um, so I started in Brisbane. You first introduce it slowly to make sure you don't have a reaction. Um, I went into remission basically straight away. And then I would go back to the hospital and get it every eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And how long would you have to stay at the hospital for to get the treatment? Um, they'd start at nearly a full day because you'd have to take... Um, the dosage over a long period of time to make sure there wasn't that reaction mm. but it would get down to about three hours or half a day. Right. And in terms of how unwell you felt after you'd have the treatment, is it like a, um, a, a chemo type thing? You feel very unwell or fatigued or did you start to notice that you were feeling better? Or Yeah, if everyone has a different reaction. For me, I would start to feel unwell in the lead up to my next infusion. Um, and then when I had it, I would be really tired after I received it, but then I'd be fine the next day. And what does it mean? Is it an ongoing thing to have Crohn's disease? or? Yeah, so there's no cure for IBD. Um, it's something that you live with and manage for the rest of your life. Right. And what, what sort of thing do you have to do now? Now I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I um, have been drug-free for two years. So because I'd um, been on Remicade for a while and it was working really well for me, my doctor decided that we should try a drug holiday just to give my body a break. Oh, you were trying a drug holiday, not trying the drug holiday. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we went through the applications with the PBS to, to basically stop the drug in case I needed to come back on it again. Um, and it was a very scary time to go off them, but... Yeah, I've been drug-free for two years. When you say scary, why was it scary? Um, just, I guess, that I didn't want to get that sick again. Right, yeah. yeah. There wasn't ever any talk about having any um, bowel retraction or any of that sort of stuff? No, because I went into remission on the drugs. I was, I was quite lucky. And my, um, my ulcers were from my mouth to my anus, so I there wasn't really an option for a resection because it wasn't in one particular spot. Right. And did you have much contact with other people with the same autoimmune disease? Like yeah. How do you sort of cope with that mentally as a young person? Is it is it uncommon for a young person to have it? Um, I'm not sure on the stats exactly, but it is quite a common disease. Um, but I, when I was first diagnosed, I joined a support group, and I think that's the best thing I ever did because I got to meet with other people mm -hmm. going through the same thing. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we decided we'd come home to be near mum and dad. I think that's a um, very wise move. Yeah. Um, and what happened in your career after that? You, you really got a love for the creative design mm. and 
Were you, were you working as a journalist when you came home or No, I'd pretty much let journalism go um, and it was such a hectic lifestyle working with the police service. So when I moved back home, I, I decided I'd start Heidi Lou Design and I basically was taking any graphic design work that I could get um, just from friends who'd heard about me, um, you know, with their small businesses needing a new logo doing things very for very cheap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as time went on, I started to pick up clients that I thought, okay, this is the kind of path that I want to take. My first one um, was with a tampon brand, so I did their packaging design, um, which I really loved and was so well-received. So then from there, I just started picking up other brands that were really quite feminine, and I became known for doing brand design and packaging design for brands that were really focused around women. Um, yeah, so I, I worked with some incredible clients and, and really... What sort of clients? What other clients besides the tampon brand? Um, hairdressers that are like really women-centric focused, um, a beautiful chocolate brand that make um, chocolates that have all of the ingredients that help you while you're on your period. Um, I've worked with period coaches. Um, Tell me, what is a period coach? <laughs> so a period coach is someone who will help you to work with your cycle. So, for example, like um, we usually live in a male-dominated world and males run from a cycle that's 24 hours. Their energy comes and grows within that cycle. Whereas for a woman, we operate within a 28-day cycle. And I think it's really important that we recognise that there are those seasons where we will be really high energy and that'll be a great time to be creative and do certain tasks in your life. But then there's a time to slow down and perhaps look at your admin or, you know, you're feeling more centred in your life. So that's when you make better decisions. So I definitely learnt a lot and could apply a lot in my own life and my own business as well. I don't know. I am 56. Seven years old, I think, this year, and I have never heard of a period coach, yeah. I have to say. So thank you, Heidi, for yeah, introducing me. So um, I just want to say on that, because it's so fascinating, mm. I've heard about coaches um, working with women's menstrual cycles in terms of um, elite athletes mm. um, and how they're much more prone to damage damaging their ligaments and stuff in different um, part, cycles of the month and things. Mm. Um how does one go about finding a period coach, I wonder? Oh, yeah, I've, I feel like I follow quite a few of them now. There's quite a few out on Instagram um, with different kind of qualifications. They might be naturopaths um, or more exercise scientists. Um, yeah, so I guess it's really what you're looking for. But, yeah, if you search period coaches on Instagram, there's quite a few. <laughs> Well, that is fascinating. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 4DDB and we're in our segment called Big Little Small Talk and we're talking to Heidi Iser from Heidi Lou Designs. We've just got up to the part where she started to have start her own business and be creative in a way that's really being able to be the person that and support the clients that she wants to support. Heidi, you're going from being more or less a marketing person for other people mm. what happened in your career where you started being the marketed person yeah I think 
I just really I connect with people through social media and I shared a lot about my own story and you know um, with my own illness and leaving the police service and kind of chasing something that would give me the lifestyle that I wanted to live and I just found that so many other people connected with that and that's what led a lot of my clients to work with me um, and for people to follow along um, and then I was starting to kind of do some illustrations and things to attract the kind of work that I wanted to bring in and a few people asked if they could get them printed for their homes um, so I thought there might be something in that and I really love beautiful artwork but sometimes it's a struggle to find things that I want in my home so I thought I would create my own collection um, so yeah then it turned from creating my own product and, and marketing that. And what sort of things did you really like um, or what sort of images were the things that you like in your design? Yeah so I mostly draw nude women um, and everything I draw is from real women who have posed for me um, so I wanted so I, I usually try and draw from photographs but obviously I don't want to take other people's photographs to then you know copy for my drawings um, so I actually I held my first nude photo shoot and I asked I think it was five women to pose for me um, and then drew them from there and since then I think I've had three or four more photo shoots. Well tell me about those photo shoots because I, I do like to do a bit of stalking on someone's Facebook page before I interview them and you're, you had over 1,700 photos I think on your... Oh really? Oh, some, <laughs> somewhere up there, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it was only 1,100. But I did love the explanation about photographing those women and listeners there's nothing explicit on Heidi Lou's Facebook page. <laughs> But you talk about the process of, of photographing those women and how empowering it is for them. Can you talk about that for me? It's always, um, each photo shoot is really different, but they usually follow a similar theme and they're just really beautiful. So my last photo shoot was the biggest one that I've done. I think I had about 12 women with me. Um, and they come in and we sit down and we kind of have a bit of a circle to start with it just to kind of get to know you so you're not, you know, feeling so uncomfortable to ready to strip off in front of a bunch of strangers. <laughs> um, I'm and feeling embarrassed thinking about it, <laughs> yeah. but anyway. <laughs> and we talk about where we're at with our journey as well. And the other thing that we do is compliment each other. So I ask them each to compliment the person before them. Um, because often there's something in somebody else that we can recognise that we don't see within ourselves. Um, yeah, and then they go away and take off their clothes and I get them together and do the poses that I'm after. So I'll do small groups, large group, individual, um, and while they're waiting there for their turn, they'll stand around and talk and it's just the most beautiful thing to see women just talking about the most mundane things while they're standing there naked <laughs> and then by the end I find that I have to try and convince them to put their clothes back on because they just are so comfortable by the end of it but it's really beautiful to see that light bulb moment of if I can recognize another woman's beauty why can't I see that in myself why do you think 
women volunteer to do it? Tell me about the different types of people that you've had and why they come to that experience and why, why they need it, I guess. It's, it's such a mixture. I've got women who are so confident in their bodies, but then others who have really struggled for a long time. So I'm not, I'm not sure if I can pinpoint exactly why they do it, but they, I just think they just have a feeling that it's something that they really want to do um, and have that experience. But then at the end of it, they get a beautiful piece of like, you know, that memory that they can have in their home. I think it be, can be quite confronting to have a nude photograph of yourself in your home, but it's um, so lovely when it's an artwork that you may not know that it is you. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly everyone's got a different story, but I'm so glad that they do do it. Yeah, because the, the biggest thing here, Heidi, is that you are a model yourself, yeah. and I won't say you're a curve model because that's putting you into some sort of category. So just for the listeners, um, because radio is a bit like that, could you describe your body? Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, I fit into so many different categories and there's so many different labels, plus size, curve, whatever it may be. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm just comfortable in my skin, um, I do have your bigger hips and bigger booty and a small waist. Um, but, and I think I'm the average size woman for Australia, which is very disappointing because a lot of brands don't cater to my size. Um, but yeah, I think it's just about, I'm comfortable and confident in who I am. Yeah, because that hasn't always been the case for you. I'm just going to read out something that you wrote and it's you said, um, I'm tired of apologising for my body on behalf of my body, trying to excuse myself for its existence, for taking up space. Body positivity doesn't come easily, so I'm sorry, body. I'm sorry for every time I've apologised on your behalf. Let's be friends. I loved hearing that um, because a lot of... The things and the work that you do is about body positivity isn't it mm. and body positivity messages can we talk a little bit more about that and how you have come to be on the other side of the camera and how important this work is not only for your for you mm. but for the average australian or worldwide woman and man young old everyone yeah, I think oh, you dug deep for that quote <laughs> it was a while ago. But um, I, I wrote that as well because um, so many women apologise to me. So I've done a few individual sessions as well where I'll go in and um, into their home and just one-on-one -on -one take a photo and then create their artwork for them. And every single time they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't shave or, you know, I'm sorry my boobs are a bit saggy or... I don't know, they just feel like they have to apologise for something. But it, you're literally apologising for existing and for your body being the way that it is, something that you cannot change. And it's apologising for a standard that we can't meet. And I don't understand where these standards have come from or why they're in place, but they're so damaging to people. So, yeah, I just hope that my work around body positivity or whatever you want to call it, empowerment, acceptance, whatever it is, 
that people feel as though they can move through the world comfortably in the body that they're in and not hate themselves or dislike themselves. I also read that you said um, you you do have a um, quite a, a picturesque body, but people don't talk about the cellulite or they don't talk about, you know, they, they talk about models sort of just being like the size 12, only bigger in, and, and in perfect proportion, and life's not like that. So you know, the scars and the, you know, mastectomies and all of those sorts of things, do you deal with a lot of those? Well, I would imagine you would because that's all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. Every time I've seen a group of women, everyone has different bits and things to them that we just don't see in the media. They're just airbrushed out um, or covered with makeup. So I think that's a really important part to those photo shoots as well is for them to see other women with the same things that they have and think, okay, that's you know, normal and beautiful as well. It's not just, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, that's something that adds to their beauty rather than taking away. Mm. What does it mean when you're walking in the Brisbane Fashion Week? What does that mean? It's so cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I started modelling probably about a year ago um, and then I met my agency and got signed and then this year I went on my first runway casting um, with Brisbane Fashion Week and then found out that I was booked. So I'm walking in two shows for Brisbane Fashion Week, one uh, with a designer and then the second one is the finale so I'll be wearing two designers during the finale. Wow. How much have you had to do with other models? Like you've been taking pictures yourself um, and I know you do some modelling here and I've seen some of the things that you do with Grand Central how did how did just take me back to where you started with doing the modeling again yeah so with my social media and releasing my art collection um, I worked with a lot of photographers to take photos of my art prints with me in them um, mostly in my underwear to show you know the body um, diversity that I wanted to with my artwork Um, And then from there, I think just as my Instagram grew, a few accounts asked um, if they could send me some things to photograph. Um, You were an influencer. Is that what (laughs) they're called? No. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Um, And then a friend of mine who has a fashion label asked if I would do some modelling for her. Um, And then Grand Central reached out to me through um, their agency, Round Square Marketing, and asked if I would come in and model for their digital runway and for their TVCs. Um, And then, yeah, I met my agent through them. What's the reaction been? Tell me about the time when you were on a shoot somewhere and you noticed some little girls over watching what was happening. Yeah, so I had my first um, shoot with Eve Global, my agency, um, down at the Gold Coast. So it was a very big day and incredible to work with the photographer and the makeup artist that I did. Um, So it was a a big setup um, with my agent and stylist and everyone there and my partner there helping out. Um, So it would have looked quite, you know, we would have stood out on the beach. It was a Saturday morning. And um, we set up a little area in the rocks for me to get changed in in a booth and I was having a bit of a break in the shade and, and having a drink of water and 
these little girls like just came over and were watching and they were just so intrigued by it and then they watched like the rest of the shoot and like they were just really mesmerized it was really I don't know it was really nice to watch but I just thought about if I had have seen something like that when I was a young girl it probably would have probably would have changed things a lot yeah I mean I am particularly interested in this area and we've talked about this before because my sister associate professor of public health Dr Lily O'Hara works in size based discrimination and prejudice and she talks about the discrimination that fat people and you are allowed to say fat people I don't you know there's a lot of fat shaming goes on in the world and she says that the health outcomes as well as the job expectancy everything is so much different for larger sized people because immediately doctors say well if you just lose that weight then everything will be okay and we'll start from there and so then there's all the shame and it shouldn't be about health outcomes shouldn't be about size it should be about health so do you think in your life have you always struggled with your weight and now you're just putting your arms around it and saying not only is it like can I be who I am I'm actually (laughs) making a career and this is my life and it's going better and better absolutely I think being diagnosed with Crohn's disease was a huge step in body acceptance for me because I just realized that life is so short and you know why am I going to go to the beach and completely cover up and not go stand in the waves just because I'm scared of what people think about my thighs so I think that was a a really big step in just accepting who I am and like I am healthy I'm a brand ambassador for our local gym freedom lifestyle and fitness I go there regularly I eat well I look after myself I have to for my Crohn's disease um yeah, so I just accept that this is the way my body is. Mm. Yeah. Well, my sister Lily always talks about the diet industry, and it is an industry. So people, it starts from the place of people saying fat equals not good, and so therefore you have to not be fat, and then it's the shame out of of putting that weight back on because that invariably is what happens it's all about how you look rather than how you feel yeah absolutely and there's no way to look at someone and know what's going on internally for them you could have someone who's really thin and they're not healthy internally so exactly you can be very thin and it's still a diabetic and not be getting any exercise but it's just a societal thing i'll just remind the listeners that they're on big little small talk and our guest today is heidi Iser from heidi lou designs and she's talking about her journey through body acceptance and the uh, messages that she's putting out into the world amongst other things of body positivity have you do you feel now heidi that you've become um a sort of a, a renegade or a, a, I would imagine people would be getting in touch with you and saying thank you for being who you are if I can't see I can't be is that what's happened in your life now tell us about some of the crazy things apart from walking in Brisbane <laughs> fashion week <laughs> yeah definitely some of the messages that I've received on social media have just been incredible with people sharing their own journey with me but even just small moments as well um 
I usually post pictures when I go to the gym, like wearing a crop top, for example, and just tell women just wear the crop top because I know so many women go to the gym and are so worried what other people think about them and, and what they're wearing. And even just people messaging back and saying that they wore a crop top for the first time to the gym. Like those little things are really mm, what get me. Mm. And do you absolutely hate filters on photographs and things <laughs> like that? I think, I think it comes down to the individual. I don't mind using them occasionally like on my stories, you know, if it's a day where I'm not wearing any makeup and I'm feeling <laughs> particularly, you know, particularly bland, I guess, I think, and just like a nice natural light one. But I do get really upset when it comes to photoshopping photos um, and changing women's appearances, especially when it comes to marketing a product that makes me really upset yeah it's it's just a great thing I mean there's just should be so much more of it but yeah until we can get to a point where I know just recently with my sisters if you take a photo and you say on oh, let's take another one my arms look fat in that my sister will just give us a real dressing down and saying what are you saying you're saying that fat is bad is that what you're saying exactly. by saying that so yeah I think there's just we need to go a million, million miles further before we're going to be at a point where people um, will have size acceptance. Mm. It's a form of discrimination that just shouldn't exist. Exactly. Well, I'm going to do a bit of cheating here, I'm afraid, Heidi, and the listeners will know that I do like to ask some questions, but yesterday I was reading um, a band magazine and there was a little quiz, and Evan Dando, you might not know him, he's from the Lemonheads, he was a bad rock star back in the day and um and they had I know that your answers won't be as explicit as his because most <laughs> of them were the four-letter word but um I like the questions that they asked him and I'm going to ask them of you now so your first one is Heidi in three words I am what it's so hard to label yourself you always turn to other people but I would probably say I'm um, creative um, empowering and a third one um, I think maybe just kind I would go for yeah I like it creative empowering and kind yeah beautiful all right your second question if I'm frightened of anything it's um, a surface level kind of answer would just be spiders <laughs> Um, but probably deeper than that, um, probably like living a mundane life, I think is one for me and not having control or autonomy. Um, I want to be able to have a life where I'm free and doing the things that I love. Yeah. All right. It's not going to be mundane. That's going to be, um, empowering. Yeah. yeah. Great. If I could travel back in time, I'd set the controls for... That's a really tough one. Um, obviously, I love fashion, um, but I love fashion from so many eras. I would say maybe the 70s, just just for the fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. My favourite person in the entire universe is? Oh, it depends who's listening. <laughs> um, my mum and I are really close. She's my best friend, um, and I have a really tight circle of close friends around me 
Um, so any of them, but also my partner, yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Can we just digress very quickly? I wanted to ask you about your mum and dad. So um, was um, are they sort of fierce people too, do you think? Oh, that's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it before. Um, probably about things that they're passionate about, yeah. But they probably wondered where I came from when <laughs> I came out. <laughs> and had, had they sort of instilled in you that belief that you do it, girl, you stand up for what oh, you... Oh, definitely. Mm. My, my dad was a teacher at St Saviour's College and he was always very supportive of me. Like, for example, even just like picking my school subjects comes to mind and the school was back then was quite... You know, you have to pick your science-based subjects. You have to go on and get a, a good paying job. But um, Dad was very supportive of me wanting to pursue a creative career. Right. And what about your mum? What type of work did she do? Um, so mum and Dad actually met at St Saviour's College. Um, she was working uh, in the laboratory at the time. Um, and she's done amazing work as a teacher aid, um, particularly supporting children with disabilities. So I'm, I met some beautiful people growing up in my life while she was doing that. Yeah, great. All right, here's a good one for you. The last time I looked in the mirror, I thought... Um, I had a pimple on my chin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to come out with something really philosophical. You know, it's all about I love how I look, you know. <laughs> but I think that does come down to I feel comfortable looking in the mirror now. Once upon a time, maybe I, I wouldn't feel so comfortable, especially in ballet studios where, you know, it's wall-to-wall mirrors, every wall that you turn around on. And that was really uncomfortable for me. But now it's it's just I'm accepting of who that person is in my reflection. But I was just annoyed that I had a pimple today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about that earlier, actually, about doing photo shoots. So have you done a photo shoot in a ballet studio? No, actually, my agency and I have talked about it because obviously you want to keep your portfolio up to date with creative um, creative shoots that you want to include. And we have actually talked about doing something ballet related and kind of redefining um, that for me and making it beautiful, but not the, the stick image that I was trying to go for, but really celebrating my body for what it is now. Yeah, I think yeah, it's time. It's on the list. Speaking of that though, what's the weirdest photo shoot you've ever done? I read something about you, a laundromat. No. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about that one. Uh, yeah, so that one was in a laundromat in the middle of the day um, in a bikini doing a bit of a 70 inspires shoot with people still wandering in and out and past. So yeah, that one I had to put on my brave girl pants for <laughs> I can imagine very yeah. much so all right this is another pertinent question and these aren't made up specifically for you they were for Evan Dando remember if I had to leave a body part to science it would be yeah that's an easy one my my bowels <laughs> oh yes exactly yes. <laughs> my partner and I had this discussion recently um about organ donation and and what our beliefs are around it and yeah definitely I I would give mine up for um for research purposes when it comes to to researching for Crohn's disease yeah good for you if life has taught me one lesson it's 
that's oh that's such a tough one I think there's so many lessons and I feel like I'm learning new things all the time um but I, I think the biggest one is probably just to be kind like you you never know what someone else is going through um and what you might do um you know how it will impact them so I think just being kind is a really important one it sounds very simple and sounds um like it's you know, it, there's not a lot to that answer, but it is so true. The, yeah. the act of kindness is incredible. And, and I think once you start being kind, then kindness comes back to you. Yeah. Um, so I love that, Heidi. I love, um, yes, being kind. In all of your 30 years, maybe if I'll ask you at 40 or 50, you'll say, kind, <laughs> forget that. <laughs> get, get more ruthless. All right. Now, normally I ask people, what's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor? But because Mm. Evan Dando's list said, the song I want played at my funeral is... Um, I can't remember who it's by, but um, it's called Untold. And it's a little bit similar to what we spoke about, about don't go with your life untold. Mm. Not, Not living the mundane. I'm sure Leroy will be able to find out who sings Untold and we can yes. have a little bit of that at the end. Now, my last question that I always like to ask people, and this wasn't on Evan Dando's list, was who is your favourite royal? This person does not have to be British. They don't have to be alive. Um, for you, Heidi, who's your favourite royal? It's, so, uh, it's such a tough question. Um, I've never really been into the royals. My grandma used to say they wipe their bums the same way that we do. (laughs) So I think I've just never really put them on a pedestal or really followed them. But the first thing that popped to my mind was tennis royalty. My grandma was big on tennis and I grew up watching it every Christmas um, at her place. So um, I love Roger Federer and have seen him live before, but I would consider him tennis royalty. That is so beautiful. That's why I like to ask this question because everyone comes up with their own take on it and it's so telling of the type of person that you are. Why is Roger Federer tennis royalty? I just think he's such a gentleman it just in everything that he does. Yeah. You think he might be kind, empowered and creative? Probably, yeah. Mm, yeah. I think so too. Mm. Heidi, it has just been a joy having you on. I'd encourage the listeners to go on to Heidi Lou's Designs and have a look at Heidi. We're going to post a picture of her as well. But you can get an idea of the incredible work that she's doing and the work that means so much to us as a region here, but I think worldwide as well. Thank you, Heidi, for being my guest on Big Little Small Talk. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.